Welcome to Cohen & Company's Chief Insights Tax Reform Edition podcast. This special series is designed to help business owners and C-suite leaders better understand the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and its potential impact. Hello, I'm Tracy Monroe, a tax partner at Cohen & Company, and welcome to this episode of Chief Insights Tax Reform Edition. Today we're here to talk about the new limit on the deductibility of business interest under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Acts. Specifically, as a business, what can you do to plan for this limitation in light of the new law? I'm joined by Kim Palmer, also a partner in our tax department and someone who works with partnerships and specifically many of our real estate clients that are contemplating this question right now. Hi, Tracy. I'm happy to be here. I've definitely been getting a lot of questions on this limitation since it came out in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in December. It's going to have an impact on taxpayers, really depending on the industry that they're in. Some industries are going to be more severely impacted by this limitation than others. So Tracy, I want to start out by asking you to explain a little bit about this new limitation on the deductibility of business interest expense. Yes, Kim. So basically, the deduction for business interest rule limits the deduction of net interest expense to 30% of the taxpayer's adjusted taxable income. So for years after 2017, the deduction is limited to the sum of business interest income, 30% of adjusted taxable income, plus floor plan financing. So what are some of the key components of the new rule that business owners need to be thinking about? Yes, there are a few things to keep in mind. First of all, business interest is any interest paid or accrued on debt properly allocable to a trade or business. So for pass-through businesses, this does not include anything related to investment interest activities. Secondly, you need to think through the calculation of adjusted taxable income, which is regular taxable income without regard to income gain or loss that is not properly allocable to a trade or business, net business interest expense and business interest income, net operating losses, the new Section 199A pass-through business deduction, and for years beginning before January 1st, 2022, depreciation, amortization, and depletion. Tracy, can you walk us through a basic example? Absolutely. Let's take a very basic example and presume that a taxpayer has $100 of taxable income. Getting to that, they have $30 of depreciation expense and $50 of net interest expense. So in this circumstance, how would the limitation work? First of all, if we were computing this before 2022, adjusted taxable income would be $180. And that is arrived at by taking the $100 of taxable income and adding back the $30 of depreciation and the $50 of net interest expense. The 30% limitation on $180 would be 54, so therefore the $50 of interest expense 
is not limited. However, you'll see where the impact of the depreciation happens after 2022. In that example, adjusted taxable income would be $150, and that is arrived at by taking the $100 of taxable income and adding back the net interest expense of 50 when you take 30% of 150, it's $45. And when we compare that to the net interest expense of 50, you can see where there's a disallowance currently of $5 and that amount would be carried forward. That is a great example that puts numbers to concepts. It also shows how depreciation will impact the calc after 2021 and more taxpayers may be limited. Tracy, can you tell us some of the key exceptions to the general rule on the limitation? Yes, there's a couple of exceptions, one being the small business exception. Basically, the interest limitation does not apply to any taxpayer with average annual gross receipts for the prior three years of less than $25 million. Secondly, there's an election out of these limitations for any real property trade or business. And if, though, a taxpayer elects to exclude a real property trade or business from the interest limitation, the business must use what's known as ADS depreciation. And basically, ADS is the alternative depreciation system, which is not accelerated depreciation and requires taxpayers to depreciate assets over a longer life. So I'd like to expand on those exceptions. Uh, the first being the small business exception. The rule actually says for $25 million and you're not a tax shelter. Typically, taxpayers think, well, I'm not a tax shelter. I'm not selling any crazy tax ideas. But if you look at the code, tax shelter is ultimately defined as allocating more than 35% of losses to limited partners. Um, specific to investment funds or real estate funds, if you have investors that are being allocated losses, you actually could be considered a tax shelter on these rules, and that $25 million exception may not apply. Um, so that's something that we're hoping to get guidance from on the IRS, because most taxpayers that, that have large amounts of passive investors don't consider themselves tax shelters. The other item to note as it relates to real estate, um, for those taxpayers in the real property trader business, this limitation, if you make the election out, isn't that big of a cost um, under the current law. You are going to a longer depreci depreciable life. So for residential property, you're depreciating currently 27 and a half years. You would go to 30 years. You're depreciating commercial property currently over 39 years. You would go to 40 years. That's not that big of a trade-off considering the amount of interest expense deductible um, it, it, Related to this industry. The, the one item I want to point out though is the way the law is written right now is qualified improvement property is being depreciated over 39 years. If a technical correction is made, which we're hoping it will be, that, that property, qualified improvement property, which is a defined term, would be subject to bonus depreciation, meaning it would be depreciated all in one year, 100% in one year. If you are a real estate business and you make this election, you're going from depreciating it in one year to being essentially straight line depreciation over 20 years. That would be a big cost. Um, again, only if they make that technical correction. 
So Tracy, does this rule apply differently based on the entity type, C-Corp, S-Corp versus partnerships? And on the surface, you would think it does not because the limitation on the deductibility of business interest is at the entity level. C-Corps, the calculation is fairly easy because all income from a C-Corporation is going to be deemed from a trader business, so there will not be any further analysis necessary to determine the limitation. However, for S-Corps and partnerships, the calculation appears very complicated. As I mentioned earlier, at first, the limitation is applied at the entity level. However, if there is disallowed interest expense, that amount is separately stated and allocated to the partner or the uh, S-corporation shareholder as an other pass-through item. And then any allocated excess business interest expense is carried forward at the partner or shareholder level to the next year but can only be deducted to the extent the partner or the shareholder is allocated excess taxable income from that same entity in a succeeding year. What are some of the unanswered questions or areas surrounding this rule that still need to be addressed in the aftermath of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act? At this point, I would say there are more questions than answers. However, there was recently released Notice 2018-28 that did, did give some general guidance to old interest carryovers for C-corporations, the application with respect to consolidated returns, impact on earnings and profits, and also uh, how the rules apply to partnerships, S-corps, and their owners. However, the notice was at a very high level and did not give a lot of specific guidance. And one of the items I'm seeing specifically in the real estate world is a, a tiered structure. We often see where um, you, your real estate is being held at a partnership, but your partners, um, whether those partners are individuals or partnerships themselves, or maybe even C-Corps or S-Corps, we often see the tiered structure where the upper tier owners, the partners, are the ones actually incurring the debt in which they use to fund their capital contributions. And those capital contributions are actually used to buy the real estate or buy the underlying assets. What we don't know right now is if the upper tier entities um, or partners incur the debt, can that deductibility actually be applied at the partner level or the upper tier level if the lower tier makes the real estate election? That's one of the areas we don't know. Um, we've We've asked for guidance. We, being the real estate industry, have asked specifically for guidance from the IRS and have yet to receive any feedback on this issue. So that's interesting. And from the standpoint of most taxpayers, there's still a tremendous amount of unanswered questions. The, the 
most significant unanswered question that I see at this time is what constitutes a trader business for purposes of non-C-Corp taxpayers allocating their net interest expense between investment interest type items and trader business type items. Um, beyond that, the actual allocation of the interest expense amongst the taxpayers' activities is another item that needs a definition. And then when you think about this furthermore, going to the level of state and local taxation, there will be a lot of rules and clarification necessary to determine how these new federal rules will impact state and local returns, especially since many states already disallow the deductibility for related party interest. So there's a question of what is the ordering of these rules? Does the disallowance of the related party interest come first or the 30% federal disallowance? And we'll be awaiting further guidance on that. And then as we talked about earlier with the small business exception, uh, the related party grouping needs to be sorted out so it could be determined how related parties are determined for purposes of whether they can be a small uh, taxpayer under the $25 million of gross receipts. Those are a lot of questions to be answered. Until we start seeing some answers, what can business owners do now to plan for these new rules? And that's a great question, Kim. Initially, likely few taxpayers are going to be impacted because depreciation and amortization deductions are disregarded until the year 2022. But I am advising taxpayers to run a five-year projection to determine if they believe they're going to run into any limits on the deductibility of their interest. And then with Within that five-year projection, they find they are getting limited on their interest expense. Maybe start to think about now what can be done to restructure the debt into a um, way that the interest will not be limited. Thanks, Tracy. We've definitely covered a lot of ground today. Can you give us one takeaway you might want to leave the listeners with today? Absolutely. The best advice is to be prepared for taxpayers to understand how the new limitation will impact their specific situation, as well as to look for further uh, guidance. And with that, we're going to conclude today's podcast. Thank you, Kim, and thank you to everyone who joined us today. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Chief Insights Tax Reform Edition. Subscribe to this podcast series at cohencpa.com slash podcasts. To gain more entrepreneurial insights that may impact you, visit us at cohencpa.com slash impact. Cohen & Company is not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Information contained in this podcast is considered accurate as of the date of recording. Any action taken based on information in this podcast should be taken only after a detailed review of the specific facts, circumstances, and current law.